So this morning, um, uh, we are continuing in our in our new building. <laughs> I just never get tired of saying that, basically. Uh, um, but it's it's great to be together, and it's great to enter into a new season um, and a new series. Um, we hope that our little mini series in September called Compass was helpful to orientate us and to anchor us and to get some key information out for who we are and why 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 we do what we do and where we're going, all of that. And uh, as we get into the autumn now, um, we want to dig into a new thing. Um, a theme that is um, one that we have talked about a lot, and it's a theme on the presence of God. Um, and I know because sometimes we mention the presence of God of a lot, um, it, that can sometimes lose its significance and power, but we hope it doesn't. Um, and I guess we make no apology for talking a lot about the presence of God, because just in terms of introduction to this series for a few moments, the, the presence of God in some ways is our birthright as a church. The presence of God has led and followed us as a church family wherever we've gone and in whatever we have done. Debbie uh, read about the, the fact that we can never flee or get away from God's presence at the start this morning from Psalm 139. And uh, I just want to say, as we get into this series a little bit this morning and introduce it, we, we could never be where we are as a church family without the presence of God. It just simply wouldn't be possible for us to have had the journey that we've had to come to this place, to have this amount of people, to have this story of testimony that we already have, to have the provision that we've already seen. There's just no way we could be at this particular place. And all the twists and turns and all the unconventional nature of how this church has kind of come about, <laughs> um, it, just, it just wouldn't happen without the presence of God. You can never have sat down 10 years ago and written on a sheet just how the trajectory of our church would have gone. We've had to simply keep on following the cloud. And it seems like where and when we've been submitted to the Lord and prepared just to keep saying yes to the Lord, that his presence has led us. The birth of the church was a response to the leading of the presence of God, almost coaxing us over almost drawing us from those of us who were in Lurgan at that time and felt that at the Spirit move us. It, was a, it began as a pursuing and a, a, a hunch, a leading of the Spirit of the Lord leading us in His presence. And when we came over here and prayed, it felt like the dove in the story of Noah's Ark was circling around this town and wanting a place to rest, wanting a place to come and reside. And, and so we followed the presence of God and the shape and the structure and even the place where that would be. We didn't know any of that really. And so the approach of planting a church was simply on a Friday night to show up in Portadown People's Park and believe that the presence of God was with us and begin to circle it and pray and ask the Lord to come and move. And then from that to then speaking to Chris and Debbie and those of you who are part of Upper Bound Vineyard and, and discerning this strange way that churches don't normally do where we would become one church together. It was a it was a leading of the presence of God. It was people that were prepared to say, above what we want to build, we want the presence of God. Um, 
to then starting and going on this journey of not quite sure how many buildings that we've been in and, you know, being prepared to be where we felt God was leading us or where the cloud kind of settled in our little follow the cloud mantra, even if that meant just having one toilet and even if that meant just like having like a, a wee man and a cleaner on the high street mall beeping on his little ride-on cleaner in the middle of my sermons every week, right? Some of you remember it, yeah. The, wherever, wherever we felt the presence of God was leading us, we, we went to that place and we settled in that place until it felt like one way or the other the Lord was moving us on. And so what I really want to try and just communicate in this introduction is the presence of God, it was and defines the very origins of this story and every chapter that we have lived through so far. And my prayer is that as we get into this series, we will realize that the principle, even though we've become more fixed in a physical building, and it looks like we're going to be here for the long term, and unless the Lord says something different, what I want to really get across is we want the pursuit, the principle of the pursuit of the presence of God not to leave us. In fact, if I can be really, really honest, really, really, really honest and vulnerable. I'm slightly worried that we might get comfortable. I'm slightly worried that somehow that hunger to be wherever God wants us to be might dissipate a little. Now, I'm only slightly worried because I'm looking out of faces and I see people who love Jesus and who love his presence. So I think we're going to be okay. But the principle of the pursuit of his presence is where we want to go. Our little mantra from the beginning has been follow the cloud because in the Old Testament, the cloud represented, some, represented the presence of God and uh, the, particularly in the, in the life cycle of the children of Israel in the wilderness and how they follow God's presence. And so as we find ourselves in this more permanent home, we want to ensure that the steam of the presence is central to everything we do. We don't want it to just define the origins of our story, but every chapter that we will live through. And that probably means in a physical building, how that sometimes manifests itself may look different. And we need to be prepared for that. I think we're being called as a church into what I might even describe as a more mature pursuit of the presence of God moving not just from the outward physical journey of following God, but moving to an even deeper internal journey of pursuing the presence of God, where we allow the Spirit of God to reveal more of the goodness and glory of who He is. Let me start with these words in Psalm chapter 84, verses 5 to 7. I think they're on the screen. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. These words um, I could talk about all morning because they define so much of our story in Emmanuel, our wider story in Emmanuel. Uh, particularly all the stuff about passing through the Valley of Baca, because the Valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. And uh, that's been really important to us through the years that 
even though we've passed through the valley of weeping, that God would make it a place of springs. And, you know, Tabar, uh, our, our kind of wider church network, is the Irish word is for springs. There's so much I could talk about. But what I really want to draw your attention to this morning is this first bit, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And then the last verse, because they go from strength to strength. The question I guess I have this first this morning as a community is, what does it look like to have a fixed building? So if we're not going to move around buildings too much more, what does it actually look like to still be on pilgrimage? What does it look like to still be moving with the presence of God? What does it look like as for individually, but what does it look like for us as a, as a family? And I think what it means is that the Lord wants to lead us into a more mature pursuit of his presence. So I'd like to introduce this little phrase. I think God is calling us to become pilgrims of the heart. That it means that we are being called into an even deeper sense of the presence of God. That uh, we would become more aware of the depths of who God is, which is what we're going to get into this morning, to behold more of who he is because we want to move from strength to strength. Does anyone here believe that God is finished with us yet? Yeah. Does anyone here believe that God wants us to go from strength now on to strength? And if that is not going to involve necessarily more buildings, though it could because there's plenty of things that we want to do, right? But if, if we're going to be here, what does it mean to continue to be a pilgrim of the heart, to allow God by his Holy Spirit to take you even deeper into the depths of who you are, to heal what is still unhealed, to restore what maybe still feels slightly broken, or maybe you feel really whole at the moment, which is beautiful and brilliant, but to help you realize that there is always more of God to know. Um, that's what we want to be thinking about in this series and I think for some of us, that is actually going to take, and that's what I want to get into here now, it's going to take a bit of a, a mindset shift. I think that for some of us, we have got a little bit potentially stuck at the level of um, depth of knowing God that we are currently at. We've plateaued potentially a little bit. I, I mean, just ask this question to yourself internally. How, how much would you say you've grown in your love for God in the last year? Just ask that question. Does the fire feel like it's burning more in your heart than it was a year ago? Now, it might not feel that for all sorts of different reasons. Maybe many of them probably understandable. But I guess what I, what I want us to really try and think about today is, and maybe provoke is I think some of us have had a little bit of a ceiling in our understanding of who God is. For some of us, that's maybe because we don't know that much, we're new to faith, or, or maybe even just exploring faith. But for others of us, we've been on the road for so long that it's got to the point where it almost feels like we're not that much sure of how much more there is of God to know. And um, I think God wants to speak into that. And so in order to do that this morning, I just want to give you a sort of introductory um, overview of the Bible. I'm going to do that quickly. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I tend to do this a lot, but it's not going to be that long. And we call because we call this the presence paradigm. And I want to try and prove to you that throughout the Bible, God is a God of immeasurable love, 
always unfolding more of himself, and eternity itself will not be long enough for us to fully have grasped the love and the nature of who God is. And so we call this the, the presence paradigm, which is a way of thinking about the Bible. A paradigm, if you're not quite sure what that word means, is just basically, a, in simple terms, a way of seeing something or looking at something, a particular perspective or a framework that helps us understand something. And the Bible, we could say, is the story of uh, the presence paradigm. That's how we could wrap it up. Uh, when we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about the intimate friendship of God revealed by the Holy Spirit in our lives. The intimate, the intimate friendship of God. Because when God made Adam, what did he do? It says he breathed into him the breath of life. You could say, if it's not too irreverent, God gave Adam the kiss of life. He, he breathed into him his own breath. That's how he was awakened. So God fashioned him from the dust and then in order for him to become a living being, God breathed into his being, his very own breath. And God says this was good. And if God says it's good, then it's good. In fact, God said that wasn't just good. He said that was very good. Yeah? Over and above all the rest of creation, which was good, this was, this was very good. And in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was at the center of the Garden of Eden. And it represented the hot spot as we often talk about, the hotspot of the presence of God on the earth. This was the place through which and from which Adam would receive, and Eve would receive all the free-flowing intimacy and love and power that they ever needed. This was beautiful. This is God's intention for our lives. The reason I'm just highlighting this for a moment is this is God's intention for our lives, that we, we live in free-flowing intimacy with God, and the tree of life represented the source of God's goodness and power. The manifest presence of God was represented in this tree of life. But um, as we'll get to in a minute, they obviously ate of the other tree that they were asked not to eat of, which was the other tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God wanted them to find sustenance in him in this way. Um, and I'm not really exactly sure what way it worked in the, in the tree, uh, or sorry, in the Garden of Eden. Um, but I think somehow he, Adam was able to behold the very face of God. If God is breathing into Adam the breath of life, what is the first thing that Adam sees when he opens his eyes? It's the face of his father. And he is imprinted with the love and with the beauty of the face of a loving father. This was Adam. This was humanity's original image-bearing state to be in unhindered communion with the love that flows from the face of the father. And they were being imprinted with that. I want to read a quote to you from a theologian called Hans von Balthasar with a name like that. It's got to be good. This is a slightly long quote, okay, but I'd like you to stay with me because I think it really gets at something really, really profound that um, I think is important. Really simple, but really profound. Here we go. Is, can you go back one? Yeah. So he's using the metaphor of a mother here. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. Who here is blessed to be a parent? 
remembers that moment, right? It's pretty special. The mother has awakened love in the heart of her child. And as the child awakens to love, it also awakens to knowledge. The initial empty sense impressions gather meaningfully around the core of the thy, in other words, the mother in that particular case. Knowledge, how we know things, with its whole complex of intuition and concept, comes into play because the play of love has already begun beforehand, initiated by the mother, the transcendent. God interprets himself to man as love in the same way. He radiates love, which kindles the light of love in the heart of man. And it is precisely this light that allows him to perceive this, the absolute love. For it is God who said, let light shine of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen to this. In this face, the primal foundation of being smiles at us as a mother and as a father. Insofar as we are his creatures, the seed of love lies dormant within us as the image of God. But just as no child can be awakened to love without being loved, so too no human heart can come to an understanding of God without the free gift of his grace in the image of his son. What a beautiful, beautiful piece of writing that helps us understand how we are awakened to love. In the same way, a mother looks into the face and imprints her love upon the face of a child in order that they, but that's where all their knowledge, true knowledge comes from. So God looks at us and when Adam opened his eyes for the first time, he was smiling and looking into the smile of a loving and committed parent. This is essential. This is why it's essential. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So if you don't think God's like that, it affects everything. It affects how you think about God, but it affects how you think about yourself. It affects how you think about others. If you think that the, the thing on God's face, the expression of God's face is primarily towards you, the stern look of a headmaster trying to work out whether or not you've done right or wrong, that will affect everything about you. If the primary expression you think is on the face of the father is anger or disappointment, because that's been the face potentially of what you remember mostly about your own parent, then that will affect everything about you. What comes into your head is the most important thing about you. But Adam had the beauty of looking into the smile of the father's face. Now, sin came into the world because the tragically ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that tragically affected this level of intimacy. There wasn't the same access to the manifest presence of God. Now, it's really important for us to remember that God was still everywhere, as Debbie read this morning. God was still everywhere. There's nowhere we can get where his presence is not. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. But further, and even further than that, God actually pursued mankind with his presence but there wasn't the same access to what we may call the manifest presence of God, the place where the tree of life actually was. Why? 
not because God wanted to bar them from it because he didn't, he, he didn't like them anymore, but because in humanity's sin, men and women didn't actually want to pursue God in that way anymore. Plus, his love and his power is more powerful than the most potent radioactive kind of sensor that you could think of, that in their sin, if they were to get near that, that they would literally die because of the otherness and the holiness of God's love and nature. But God still wanted them to know that. They were just going to have to adopt a different posture if they were going to be able to access it. And so our whole series in the summer about the tabernacle is exactly that. God teaching them a pattern of how they needed to understand their sin in order that they could reach into the manifest, into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. But I hope you remember this about the tabernacle. What did we learn? That the first piece of furniture that is described in the Exodus narrative is what? Is the Ark of the Covenant. Because the point is that God wants people there. He's always wanted people there. Free-flowing intimacy and communion. But there's a problem, and the problem is our sin. But God was giving them this pattern that they could approach him that way and still come to know something of his presence. And when God did come, when they did follow the pattern that God gave them, then God did come in his beauty, in his awesomeness, in his glory. Often this cloud would have came down and the glory of God would have shone around. And in these passages, Moses goes even further and he asks God to show him his glory. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 34. Um, I think it's on the screen. It says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So he deals with sin to the third and fourth generation, but his loving mercy <laughs> is poured out on endless generations. And his glory, when Moses asked to see his glory, if you go back to the first bit of that uh, verse, please, Rose, that'd be great. The, what, the, the, his glory looks like his, his goodness. Compassionate, slow to anger, merciful. God, every time we see God's glory or we feel God's glory comes amongst us, we should understand that the substance of that glory is always God's goodness. We should have revelation of that. It's not just an experience of God's glory. It's an encounter with the substance of that glory, which is his long-suffering mercy. And so at this point in the story, Moses is the only one who seems to be permitted right into the presence of God. He goes, Moses, in, in one sense, we could say, goes to heaven. He goes up onto Mount Zion. He goes through the cloud into the mystery and the awesomeness of the presence of God through the light that's shining out of the top of Mount Sinai. It's, it's wild, but he seems to be the only one that goes right in. And the Bible says this, that after he goes into that place, when he comes out, he comes out with a bit of an afterglow. And it wasn't like Saint-Tropez, right? It, 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 it wasn't just a bit of a you know, suntan either. It wasn't fake tan. <laughs> it was the glow of the presence of the Lord. Let, let, let me read the, the verse to you so you can get a hold of this. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. And so when Moses and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, look, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what, he had, been, what had been commanded. They saw his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. It's pretty mad, isn't it? Being in the presence of God and coming out and your face still radiant, like this glow that still rests on your face. The, the glory of God expressed in a face still shining. Moses, at that time, was the mediator between God and the Israelites. But what I want to why I'm digging into this this morning is I want you to realize that Moses was the prototype for all humanity. You, you were created to look into the face of a loving Heavenly Father and to glow, to radiate His glory in your face, face to face. People marked by the presence of God that it can actually be seen demonstrably in their faces. And what's interesting about this, to take it even further, is the word for presence in the Hebrew, the word panim, I think it's on the screens here, and it is also used for face. So how much more intimate does this help us understand the presence of God when Moses and the children of Israel are saying, we want your presence to go with us. They're actually saying, we want your face I don't know those of you who have the gift to be parents, because it is such a gift, such a blessing. Not everybody knows that blessing, and we should cherish it. But sometimes when your child's playing football or dancing or standing up on stage, what do they look for in the crowd? They look for your face. They look for your face. We've got the gift of face time now don't we it just it changes everything a little bit doesn't it when you're just talking to them but you can see their face the children of Israel thousands of years ago understood this and said we want to see we want your face to go before us and so all of this helps us understand why this ancient blessing that has come down through the ages that Aaron and Moses would pray over the people is this the Lord bless you and keep you and may the Lord make his what face Make his face to shine upon you. It's a good thing to have the face of God shining upon you. But because we're so damaged by sin and our relationships are so dysfunctional at times because of sin, some of us doubt the expression of God's face towards us. And if we, the people of God, don't become radiant with the glow of the presence of God, how much more will the world out there know that the face of a loving Heavenly Father shines upon them? We're called to live in the light of His face. 
And yet the unthinkable thing about the children of Israel, despite all these amazing encounters with God and their understanding of the face of God, they still turned away from God. They still didn't fully get it. They still rebelled. And yet God continues to pursue them. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. But they desired other things. They lost sight of the gaze of God. And so when Moses in one way served as a prototype for what all humanity should be, like, like radiating the face of God, the children of Israel serve as a bit of a model for all of humanity. But the reality is every single one of us lose sight of the face of God. We get distracted by other things. Other faces we get more enamored by. Other things we tether our hearts to. We, we lose sight of the gaze of God like the children of Israel. We, it sounds awful when we, when we think about how powerful this is, isn't it? But it, it feels, we, we feel grief in our own spirits at times and it's our own life where we love other things more than the face of God shining upon us. And yet God's desire for us is still so strong that in the end he sends Jesus. So rather than giving up on mankind, God comes in the person of a son the embodied word of flesh, the presence of God amongst us, and in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the goodness, of the purity, the love, the truth of who God is. The glory of God is no longer at this time coming necessarily like a cloud or a pillar of fire, but in the manifestation of a life. The glory of God has come in a human face that in one way looks like ours. This is why the Apostle Paul could say in chapter uh, 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, and even if our gospel it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. See how Paul's riffing off this veil thing from Moses all these years later? So he's saying, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This next verse is potentially one of the most important verses in the Bible. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. All those incredible power encounters that we read of in the Old Testament, the glory of God coming down on Mount Sinai, a fireworks display like you've never, you couldn't even imagine, a thunder and lightning and the glory of God comes. The people think they're going to die. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. And yet the light of the knowledge of that glory, Paul says, has now shone into our hearts in the face, in the face of Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. God has allowed the light of his face, like a mother to a baby, to shine into our hearts. That's what he wants to do, to awaken your spirit to the fact that there's a God in heaven, the maker and creator of all, who loves you and wants the light of his face to shine upon you, and he's come to show you that in the face, in the beautiful face of Jesus, who veiled the fullness of his glory so we could connect with him like, like we do with each other in one sense, in humanity. The face of God now revealed in the Son, Jesus. Okay, so who of you remembers on the screen now who of you remembers these little kind of tracks? 
Anybody remember these? They're called check publications. Put your hand up if you, you might not want to be reminded about these, okay? Now, I'm sure Jack Chick had good intentions, but there are potentially some of us that are still traumatized by this one on the left, which is a faceless God sitting on the throne banishing people to eternal judgment. That's not God. God has a face. God has a face. And it looks like Jesus. But for some of us, Come to church, trying to read our Bibles, trying to live a good Christian life. It's been far too long since you saw the smile upon his face. And what I really want you to get this morning as we go into this theme of the presence of God is that God, God's face is the most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine and it shines towards you. And so even though Jesus veiled his glory, in other words, when the disciples were taken up to the transfiguration, they saw the brilliance of the light of God's face. But Jesus veiled that so we could connect with it at a human level. But those who looked into his face, you know, it's it's unbelievable the steps Jesus took down. You know, that Isaiah said there's no form or comeliness that we should desire him. He wasn't necessarily the most aesthetically beautiful human in that regard that ever lived. Because he knew that beauty wasn't something on the outward, but in the inward. But for those who looked into his face, when blind Bartimaeus opened his eyes for the first time, and he looked into Jesus' face, he looked into the face of God. When the woman caught in the issue, uh, the woman who had the issue of blood, when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and in the crowd, Jesus tur- turned round in this bustling crowd and looked at her and her, her alone. She, she, she looked into the face of God. Little children that everybody else said, the disciples said, the shoe away. When they got up on Jesus' knee and looked up into the face of Jesus, they saw the beauty of who God is. And so Jesus' life of sacrificial love and selflessness displayed the glory of God. And the cross was the ultimate fulfillment of this. And through the work of the cross, and we repent of our sin, it awakens us to the love of gaze of the Father. Like Hans van Balthasar said of the mother smiling into the face of the child, the Father wants to imprint you with his love and his divine nature, because this is where you were born, in exchange for your sin, if you will repent of that and bring it to the cross. And that has always been God's plan. And the thing about it is, as I try to land this in the next five minutes, is this, that some of us have a bit of an idea of this, but the thing that's so ridiculously good about all of this is, there's always more of God's face to see. Always more. There is never, there is an ever-increasing, ever-deepening sense. Um, for those of us who are in and around 40, you will remember when we were uh, around our 20s and, you know, you know, falling in love and things like that. We, the soundtrack was 
Damien, Damien Rice, and there was this line in this song from Cannonball, and it says, there's still a little bit of your face I've yet to kiss. And um, it's a wee bit like that with, with Jesus. There's more of the unfolding nature of the beauty of his face that we still have to encounter. Uh, there's always more of his gaze to look upon and his glory to behold. And 2 Corinthians 13, I'll just read the final verse of it just to save time. Final couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it says, um, but when everyone turns to the Lord, sorry, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with <laughs> unveiled, Jesus has taken away the veil. Behold or contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with, this is what it says, ever increasing glory. Some translations say from glory onto glory. And I just think there's some of us, that's exactly where we're at. You, you need to ask the Lord to give you another revelation of the glory of his face, because that's what Jesus died for. From glory onto glory. Moses I haven't time to teach into this too much more this morning because I want to I wrap up in a moment. Moses put a veil over his face with the Israelites because the glory of the old covenant was fading away. So Moses put a veil over it because he didn't want to think, oh, I've come out of God's presence with this afterglow and now it's going to fade away and we don't want the people to think it's going to fade away because the glory of God was never supposed to fade away. But because of our brokenness and our sin, God could, in a sense, only do so much of that. But in Jesus, the fulfillment of who God really is and all of our sin, it was finished on the cross so that Jesus brings us into the reality of a new covenant in which the glory will never fade. In fact, there's only ever more of it to encounter and to know so that we can all radiate the light of his face. So this morning, as I bring this to a close, God wants to exchange your shame that you feel is written on your face for his radiance. Look at what the psalmist says. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And finally, just so you know, if you love Jesus, that's how you're going to spend eternity. Look at this final verse on the screen. Revelation 22, Dallas Willard's paraphrase. I every time I've read this over the last week, I just I can't stop crying almost, right? Just listen. And they shall live with his face in view. And that they belong to him will show on their faces. Forever and ever you're going to live with the smile of the Father reflected in the face of Jesus in view. How about that for the rest of, spend the rest of your days with, with that? And that, they know him, will show on their faces. And I guess what I wanted to say is that's already started. That reality's already started.
the reality of his face on view. Here's my dream. My dream is for a church in Emmanuel Portadown of saints who have radiant faces. And on the scars and on the lines, on their faces that have been weathered by pain and brokenness and sin, it will tell a testimony of the redeeming work of Jesus because God has exchanged their shame for the radiance of his goodness and glory. And just in case, I'm hoping this is resonating with you. And if it is, it should, because that is actually, even if you don't maybe even admit it, that is your heart cry. The words of the psalmist to finish. The psalmist said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, <laughs> the heart cry, your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And so I'm going to ask the band to come just and finish us with a song and just to get ready. We want to continue this next week. And so I just want to stop now. Um, but will we all just stand our feet for a moment? guess why I wanted to start this way is as we go into a theme that is more focused on the next number of days on the presence in the next number of weeks on the presence of God you see some, sometimes it's, it's hard to really hunger and seek for something or to have a desire for it even when you don't really know what it is or you have questions over what it is even subconsciously that's why you can, we're going to later on in the series get into the spiritual disciplines and ways in which we can host the presence of God in our own lives. That's why we've developed the app. Because Dave is refer, all of those things are here to help. But, but here's the thing. Um, if the destination isn't more important than the discipline, the discipline will just kill you and you get bored. But if the destination is the ever-increasing, always-unfolding, immeasurable nature of the beauty of the face of Jesus that only becomes more and more beautiful as we get more and more revelation, then the only thing that your heart wants to do is like the psalmist said, when I heard you say, seek my face then, oh, your face, Lord, I will seek. And uh, we'll get into the practical ways that we do that next week. But just in these moments, why don't we just take a moment and close your eyes for a moment. This is what I'd love you just to do in these moments. As, uh, as we get ready to sing, I just love you to um, allow the light of God's face just to shine upon you in these moments. I would just even ask the Holy Spirit, just in case you're not aware, like the Holy Spirit, be really, really, really. <laughs> really, really, really excited about you asking him that because that's what he specializes in, helping you see Jesus. And God, I just want to pray that right across this room right now, Lord, and by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would uh, unfold more of your glory revealed in the face of Jesus. <laughs>